0: Welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. And what I'm doing right now is I am going much more in-depth into the world of the Dark Tower and the drawing of the three and examining the relationships between the Dark Tower with, I'm sorry, the drawing of the three with the other Dark Tower uh, novels and just, Building the context around the drawing of the three that I couldn't do in the drawing of the three review Which I released um, Because I I couldn't really get into heavy spoilers in the drawing of the three review for those that have not finished The dark tower series. So if you are listening to this um, If you have not finished the dark tower series I strongly advise you to stop listening right now and go out and finish the Dark Tower series because I'm going to be getting into some very, very heavy spoilers, and the Dark Tower is a reading experience that I think that everyone should be able to enjoy for themselves without spoilers and just knowing what's going to happen because King takes you on quite a ride. Um, And then when you're done, certainly come back and listen, but this is really for those that have finished the Dark Tower series. So what I'm going to talk about first is um, is twinners, right? Now, while this doesn't take place in the same world as the Talisman, this is a novel rich with doubling and mirroring and symmetry, or what I like to call twinning. If you listen to my review of the Talisman, you'll know that the Territories is not found within Midworld, but is a universe that sits very close by. The connection between the world of the territories and our earth comes with very specific rules that reveal that each of us has a corresponding twin in the territories, and vice versa. While King doesn't state that this rule applies to our characters in the Drawing of the Three, we still very clearly have a sort of twinning occurrence, which makes this novel share a thematic connection to the talisman. With the exception of one instance, the the, the twinning in the Drawing of the Three shouldn't be as interpreted as literal, but thematic. Characters sharing characteristics that make them symbolic twins of other characters. Now, I said that there's one instance, and that revolves around Eddie. Um, So for Eddie, we we learn that Roland exists as the redemptive version of Henry. Now, Henry is the commanding, authoritative figure in Eddie's life, a big brother who functions as an unreliable mentor at times, a surrogate father at others. It's because of Henry that Eddie lives the drug-smuggling, addicted life he leads when we first meet him, and it should come as no surprise that their fate is intertwined with a tower occupied by a shadowy figure who functions as the greatest evil in their life. This mirrors Roland's own journey, which will take him to the Tower of All Towers, which has occupied what could be the basis for all evil, and that, of course, is the Crimson King. Whether or not the Crimson King is the basis for all evil is something that I will analyze in much greater detail when I eventually get to my review of the Dark Tower, because I believe that King has some very interesting points to make about evil by the time he wraps up his story. Now, regardless, Eddie and Roland have a vicious man holed up in their tower, one who underestimates his enemy, and Roland has a vicious man holed up in his tower, one who underestimates his enemy as well. So, I oh okay okay so i i let's get into this now i guess okay um i said i i know that i just said that i would wait uh until the 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 the, the dark tower review but we're here we're here um so let, let's talk about it while it's fresh in my mind now um in insomnia and black house the sequel to the talisman uh, the Crimson King is presented a lot differently than he's presented by the time we meet him in the concluding pages of The Dark Tower. Now, in Insomnia and Black House, I mean, he is presented as a universal cosmic entity, you know, a, a dangerous creature that I would describe as a more manipulative, ambitious version of the spider from It. You know, it, it appeared at the time uh, that of all of the monsters and villains that King has created... You know, the, the Leland Gaunts, the Randall Flags, Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Um, you know, there was Atropos in uh, Insomnia. You know, all of these, these, these vicious villains of supernatural threat. You know, then we'll later we'll have Tack, um, and then we'll have Mr. Munchin and, and great monsters. You know, um, the Crimson King was the one who ruled at the top of that food chain, right? Stephen King's apex predator. Now, with the description of the Crimson King insomnia, if memory serves correctly, you know, he's a handsome man with blonde hair. Um, So I'd actually argue that King was creating his universe's version of Lucifer, the fallen angel, which would actually make the Crimson King Stephen King's version of Satan. You know, in a sense, uh, you know, both characters still have similarities, uh, you know, regardless of, of the scope and description of the Crimson King. Um, and and how that scope and description changes, you know, throughout the series. But you know, still by the end, they're both undone by their ambition and greed, um, and both are trapped because of it. Right? You know, Satan's in hell, and Crimson King is, is in the tower. And regardless, you know, the, the cosmic all knowing creature that that could blow you out another world away, the the one whose right hand man was a bona fide boogeyman who ate children for fun. You know that's not the Crimson King that we encounter by the end of the series. The the Crimson King that we encounter at the end of the series is an impotent old man who screeches and throws Harry Potter grenades at Roland. You know, I again like like I said, I I think that King is making a point about what evil really is. And it's probably no coincidence that a whole novel dealt with Wizard of Oz imagery, right? You know, with Wizard in Glass. So in essence, he's, King's probably stating that there isn't a great and all-powerful Oz, just a man behind the curtain or in this case, a man locked within the tower and when, when once we believe that he employed monsters, as seen in Black House and Insomnia, by the end, he's merely running an organization made up of blue-collar criminals you know, the can toy, which make him less of a Sauron, more of a Tony Soprano, and in the Stephen King universe, our version of Tony Soprano is Enrico Balazar. So, that was a detour that I didn't expect to take, but, you know, again, it emphasizes the twinning between our characters of Roland and Henry, of the two towers, and surprisingly enough, of of Balazar and the Crimson King. Now, Roland, meanwhile, sees Eddie as a version of Cuthbert, and in this case, Eddie doesn't just have similar character traits of Cuthbert, and this is the instance that I talked about that was an exception of the thematic twinning, but actual twinning. No, Eddie is Cuthbert. Roland now has the opportunity to save the life of the best friend he hadn't been able to the first time around. Now this repetition, meanwhile, reinforces the idea of Ka is a wheel. The events that have occurred will occur again and plays into the greatest theme and gut punch of the entire series when Roland discovers that he's forced to replay the events of his life over and over and over again until he lives a life without the sacrifices of those around him. When Eddie and Roland first meet, Roland is on death's door, much in the same way that Henry is at the time as well. One is suffering from the lack of drugs, the other is suffering from the overconsumption of drugs. Now, whether King knows it at this point is not clear, but Eddie as a reincarnated version of Cuthbert is very clear to the reader upon reread. On page 99, King writes, All the same, he liked Roland. Feared him, but liked him as well. Suspected in time he could love him, as he loved Henry. Now, if you or I were to feel an alien presence in our minds, I doubt that our response would be to initially like the other mind. And King is, um, well, he's the king, right, (laughs) Of, of recreating natural responses. So if the natural response is to reject another mind within our own, then there must be a reason for Eddie to respond the way he does to Roland's presence. On one hand, you have the fact that Roland reminds Eddie of Henry, but I'm going to argue that there's more to it than that. We'll later learn that Roland believes that Eddie is the resurrection of his long lost friend. And if that's the case, and it is, any personality trait of Henry's that resembles Roland's own are the universe's way of recreating the relationship. Remember, if you listen to my two part Gunslinger review, I stated that the story of Roland isn't derivative of other Cowboy Star stories but instead is THE cowboy story, and that any other story involving cowboys in the West is just an echo of Roland's own, which plays out on a universal or rather multiversal scale. When the essence of Cuthbert is reborn in New York, he comes with a cosmic blueprint that includes a best friend who, whether his actions are selfish or selfless, is the most important figure in the multiverse. And as a result the blueprint imprints that best friend or more fittingly a recreation of that best friend for cuthport cuthbert in the form of henry dean in the cosmic order of things henry isn't really a person at all but a pale imitation of a real person a carbon copy of a carbon copy now if you see it that way it should come as no surprise that his willpower is so easily broken under the spell of drugs Another way of looking at Henry's condition is that, of course, he's a junkie. He has to be a junkie, because if he's addicted to drugs, Roland's addicted to finding the tower. And Henry, meanwhile, isn't just a twinner to Roland, but also the monkey on Eddie's back. He's the physical manifestation of the drugs which have almost overtaken Eddie's life. Now, Eddie Roland I'm sorry, Eddie recognizes Roland instantly. I don't mean that he thinks he knows him from somewhere, but he understands him on the deepest level. While on the beach after the death of Henry, Eddie sums up Roland's personality in a nutshell on page 170, and he says, Then I'll elucidate. There are people who need people to need them. The reason you don't understand it is because you're not one of those people. You'd use me and then toss me away like a paper bag if that's what it came down to. God effed you, my friend. You're just smart enough so that it would hurt you to do that, and just hard enough so that you'd go ahead and do it anyway. You wouldn't be able to help yourself. If I was lying on a beach there and screaming for help, you'd walk over me if I was between you and your goddamn tower. Isn't that pretty really close to the truth? And then he goes on to say, um, you know, except for your tower, Eddie utters a short laugh. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Um, so, I mean, how else does he understand this so completely? About Roland other than having known Roland in another life now naturally the most obvious doubling we have is that of Detta Odetta Holmes whose twin uh, personalities are dark funhouse reflections of the true essence within with the lady of shadows King places the racial tensions and the civil rights movement to the forefront of the story in a way that he hasn't done yet He's explored the effects of racism in the fire at the black spot and mike's victimization at the hands of henry whose racist remarks represented a huge segment of the population in 1958 in uh, the novel it here in 1963 king opens up his exploration of the civil rights movement placing odetta higher up in the social class so we experience it from more of a macro level than just your small town small-minded racism with odetta she's smart she's educated and she's rich we witness the hypocrisy of those who treat her better than those with less money, less stature. It prevents I'm sorry, it presents a more nuanced portrayal of the effects of racism than previously depicted in his works. Now, in terms of twinning, King places both representations of the character on opposite ends of the spectrum. With Odetta civilized, intelligent, and Detta of the streets, dirty, vulgar, dangerous, and angry. It's as if Detta represents every stereotype existing at this time, knowingly histrionic in her speech, and actions as to draw more attention, so that it's much harder for those to turn away. And then we have... (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. Then we have Jack Mort, who's the symbolic real-world mirror of the man in black, and the in-narrative puppet of that character. With Mort, not only do we have the doubling of the first novel's main villain but we double up on a scene that we saw played out in the pages of The Gunslinger, Jake's death. Okay, um, so that that's really all that I have to say about um, twinners right now. But what I want to do now, again, and I feel like I'm beating a dead horse with this every time I talk about the Dark Tower connections, but I need to talk a little bit about Flag and the Man in Black and Walter and Martin and... Um, So, what that means is that I'm going to read from page 362. So, actually, it starts on page 361, and Stephen King writes that "...the gunslinger had known magicians, enchanters, and alchemists in his time. Some had been clever charlatans, some stupid fakes in whom only people more stupid than they were themselves could believe." But there were never had been a shortage of fools in the world, so even the stupid fakes survived. In fact, most actually thrived. And a small few actually had been able to do those black things, of which men whisper. Those few could call demons, and the dead could kill with a curse or heal with strange potions. One of these men had been a creature that Gunslinger believed to be a demon himself, a creature that pretended to be a man and called itself Flag. He had seen him only briefly, and that had been near the end as chaos and the final crash approached his land. Hot on his heels had come two young men who looked desperate and yet grim, men named Dennis and Thomas. These three had crossed only a tiny part of what had been a confused and confusing time in the gunsinger's life, but he would never forget seeing Flag change a man who had irritated him into a howling dog. He remembered that well enough. Then there had been the man in black and then there had been Martin. Martin, who had seduced his mother while his father was away. Martin, who had tried to author Roland's death but had instead authored his early manhood. Martin, who, he suspected, he might meet again before he reached the tower or at it. So, there's our flag conundrum. Now, in my second episode of my two-part Gunslinger review, as well as the bonus episode uh, from Eyes of the Dragon, I discussed at length the inconsistencies with the ultimate reveal that um, Walter, Martin, and Flagg are all the same person. In the Eyes of the Dragon bonus episode, I made the argument uh, that for a character who's the embodiment of chaos, it makes sense that the pieces don't fit neatly and oftentimes fit with contradiction to one another, like we see here. However, we know that the reveal was not King's original intent. His original intent, as established within the narrative of the Gunsinger, and outside of the narrative here in the drawing of the three's introduction, it's clear that Walter and the Man in Black were two separate characters. So I'm going to read the the introduction here. Specifically, on the bottom of page 11, um, King writes, and remember that this is not within the narrative, this is simply the author speaking to the reader through the pages of the text we know that Roland was forced into an early trial of manhood after discovering that his mother had become the mistress of Martin, a much greater sorcerer than Walter who unknown to Roland's father is Martin's ally we know that Martin has planned Roland's discovery expecting Roland to fail and be sent west, we know that Roland triumphs in the test Um, so right there he makes the distinction again not within the narrative but outside of the narrative the author speaking to us that Martin and Walter are two separate characters the reason that I say this is again just to point out that in the reading process there's a difference between misdirection within a text and inconsistencies from the author these inconsistencies forced stephen king to have to um, retcon what he had already written Um, and we see those changes in um, the re-release of the gunslinger in which he revised things to make this ultimate reveal that much more palatable but again if you were reading these novels, as they were being published, you're trying to put the pieces together and the pieces don't fit with the ultimate puzzle picture that, that, that King presented to us by the end of the novel. So again, on a thematic level, the inconsistencies work for a chaotic character, but I need to point out how much the story deviated and how not in control of it King really was. In Misery... Annie and Paul have a long conversation around what constitutes a cheat in storytelling this which will later come like I said with a revision and a retcon this is a cheat okay it flies in the face of what had already been established um so I've already mentioned this a little bit but I want to talk more about Ka is a wheel Now, I've spoken of the twinning, uh, which reflects the theme of Ka is a Wheel, and specifically foreshadows Roland's ultimate fate as a man trapped in what could be an infinite loop of a cursed existence. In earlier interviews, King suggested that Roland may not even live long enough to reach the tower, which suggests a redemptive end for Roland. Eventually, however, we all know that Roland does reach the tower, um, and when he does, it's revealed that he's been there before countless times and will reach the tower again. Um, first, that time travel aspect is first introduced in The Gunslinger with Jake being plucked from 1970s New York but more specifically here um, with uh, a few timelines of New York but more importantly this novel foreshadows Roland's grim fate um, whether or not Stephen King knew what that fate was um, at the time which he didn't because that's why I referenced the fact that in interviews and in forwards and afterwards he he would mention how roland might not even make it to the tower which i don't believe was a misdirect on his part um but i believe that uh, throughout his journey he did have one idea maybe for an ending but but changed it regardless i found something here on page 101 uh that that really fits with the ending as a as a dark example of foreshadowing what a paragon of virtue you are gunslinger the man in black laughed so the man in black is functioning as his conscience in this novel he seemed to have taken up permanent residence inside roland's head you have killed the boy that was the sacrifice that enabled you to catch me and i suppose to create the door between worlds now you intend to draw your three one by one and condemn all of them to something you would not have for yourself a lifetime in an alien world Or they may die as easily as animals In a zoo set free in a wild place The tower, Roland thought wildly Once I've gotten to the tower And done whatever it is I'm supposed to do there Accomplish whatever fundamental act of restoration Or redemption for which I was meant to Then perhaps they But the shrieking laughter of the man in black The man who was dead but lived on As the gunslinger's stained conscience Would not let him go with that thought So You know, that's basically Roland's thinking that, hey, once I get to the tower, you know, the end will justify the means, but he's cut off completely by the man in black who just laughs um, in his head. So if the man in black is functioning here, because we know he's not dead, but it's just Roland's um, Roland's own mental state, um, then it could be like I had talked about in my second part of my two-part Gunslinger review, Um, that on some level in the deep subconscious bowels of roland's mind he knows that what his his ultimate fate is and this is the shrieking um knowledge bubbling up to the surface and while on the subject of ka is a wheel um, and it kind of goes back to what I was uh, speaking earlier of doubling about because Ka is a wheel and they've gone through this before. They they know on some level of each other. You, you have Eddie and Susanna, right? Immediately, King tells us that Eddie's falling in love. In my review of The Gunsinger, I discussed how easily Roland and Jake trusted each other. I argued that Each trust each other so readily because their meeting wasn't their first meeting, but instead one meeting repeated after lifetimes of meetings on the endless wheel of Ka. Now similarly, do Eddie and Susanna fall in love with each other so easily because their story had already played out many times before? You know, it's just another example of the endless cycle that will continually play out in this series. However, in this novel, King suggests a break in the cycles as Roland chooses to save Jake, If he chose to let Mort push him, he'd start the cycle anew, which would bring him back to that moment where he offered the choice of his greatest sacrifice and in choosing to save Jake, he redeems himself. Ultimately, we know that 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 redemption does not um, work out for Roland ultimately in the end, but it does fall in line with the fact that on Roland's endless series of loops, I say endless, but... Hopefully they're not endless. There, there is a possibility that it could be endless if Roland continues to make poor choices. But with the inclusion of the horn at the at the end of the Dark Tower, it it's it's one step closer to the ultimate redemption. That the choices that he's making are incremental. They're small, but they're the right ones. I still believe that he's going to make awful decisions. Um, but each time around, he does have the chance to make different choices. So in in his mind, in his life, he can either re- give himself the redemption or he can give himself his own damnation. It's all up to Roland. Okay, um, and so now I, uh, I'm i just going to read the, the quote. Um, and this is on page 200... And 31. Um, so here, here's, here's our quote. If you have given up your heart for the tower, Roland, you've already lost. A heartless creature is a loveless creature, and a loveless creature is a beast. To be a beast is perhaps bearable, although the man who has become one will surely pay hell's own price in the end. But what if you should gain your object? What if you should heartless Actually storm the Dark Tower and win it. If there was a naught but darkness in your heart, what could you do except degenerate from beast to monster? To gain one's object as a beast would only be bitterly comic, like giving a magnifying glass to an elephant. But to gain one's object as a monster? To pay hell is one thing. But do you want to own it? Ah. So. So. Again, that is some serious, serious foreshadowing because that spells out exactly what's going to happen at the end of the series. Now, one, it's Roland acknowledging the choice he will um, often have to make. Two, it's the reappearance of the ghost of the man in black. Third, the ghost references Roland being a beast. In the original version of The Gunslinger, The man in black referenced the beast that guards the tower. While that was later omitted in the re-release, was Walter talking about Roland the entire time? After all, is he not a beast whose goal is to save or protect the tower? I never caught that before, but I wish that King had kept the beast reference in the re-release because it doesn't need to be a big deal. You, You would just need to keep the beast reference in the Gunslinger and then this uh line in uh the drawing of the three and then and that's it and then let the reader put the pieces together and say oh my god this entire time roland was the beast because before roland because the man in black said before roland would get to the tower he would encounter the beast right and the beast protects the tower that's roland in a nutshell um so that really really stood out for me Okay, everyone. That's that's really all of the the Dark Tower uh, connections and, and thoughts that I have for now, as related to the drawing of the three. Um, but uh, you know, make sure that you you stick around for next week as I dive into uh, the Tommyknockers, a much maligned um, Stephen King uh, novel that I look forward to to revisiting because um, I don't remember hating it nearly as much as people seem to as much as the author himself seems to so stick around for that um and like i said in the other uh drawing of the three um episodes uh follow me on instagram and facebook and twitter and tumblr and pinterest and if you have a few minutes please it would do me a a huge solid if you went over to itunes and subscribed and um, order if you would um, really get the, the word out there on the Stephen King cast. And everyone, have a great week, and I will see you here next week. Same King time, same King channel, Stephen King cast. i oh, oh, oh. hey, hey, hey. I did. Hey, hey.